This is Akafe. Laura Marie and Jessica Marie proudly present A Court of Fandoms and Exploration, a podcast. Fair warning, everything the hosts say is explicit, full of spoilers and adult content and shall not be used against them. They have opinions. Let's try not to drag anyone for expressing themselves and just have fun for an hour. We all deserve it. There will be spoilers in this episode specifically from the Akatar series, A Crown of Midnight Plot Reveal, from Blood and Ash, and A Kingdom of Flesh and Fire, and the Supernatural series finale, as well as topics surrounding sex and physical violence. Hi everybody, and welcome to A Court of Fandoms and Exploration, your weekly deep dive into the YA fandoms that we love. I'm Laura Marie. And I'm Jessica Marie. And today is the big recap. We are recapping the Akatar series thus far, and we will be discussing all the things that we promised we'd discuss in previous episodes that we did not get to, because we are ladies of our word. I feel like it could be the Bridgerton talking, but hearing ladies of our word feels very, we are men of honor. Would you like some tea? <laughs> Daphne? Oh my god. Simon's so hot. You know, I was thinking about this earlier in the shower because I have shower thoughts. Would I choose the prince to be a princess or would I choose the duke because he's so hot? I feel like historically you usually lean towards more power. I know. I know. Because <laughs> I, you know, I think part of it was because I'm already in Germany. So why not be a German princess <laughs> and then just have like affairs because... I mean, that's what royalty does. But I mean, the Duke is so hot. So, I so uh, he is a gorgeous man. We're digressing. We're digressing. Sorry. Yes. To get back into everything, before we got started on our episode, we really wanted to get into the ACOTAR recap of everything. And I ran downstairs because I got an alert from the post office saying a package has been delivered. And my city of Starlight jersey came from Blissfully Bookish. And I'm obsessed um, I, I, when I, we had done the pre-order back on Black Friday, I just thought it was a plain black jersey, you know, whatever, not whatever. I, I was really excited for it. And I opened it and it's all sparkly and glittery. And the only regret I have is like, I should have gotten two because obviously this is going to get overworn and I'm going to want it forever now. <laughs> I also have ordered it and pre-ordered it, but it is delayed by the post office, but it's going to my mom in Phoenix. So I'm excited to pick that up when I go visit her. I think it's important to note that Jessica and I, are balls deep in Queen of Shadows <laughs> for the next episode that we'll be recording. So we really needed to get into this headspace. So I am wearing a Night Court sweatshirt from Bookish Stuff that Jessica got me for Christmas. And I am very appreciative and it is gorgeous and fleece lined and just purple and perfect. So shout out to all of those. I feel like all we do now, we just like have a list. It's just like a running list. Like, this is what I want. Did you buy it for yourself yet? No, I'm going to buy it for you now because <laughs> I'm bored. And that's what quarantine does, which is also very dangerous to just say, I'm bored and I want to spend money, but I don't want to get anything for myself. So who can I buy for? Well, that's our love language and there is nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with that. So I think that's a good segue into speaking of love languages, since we're doing an Akatar recap. What do we think Tamlin's love language is? Starting off with book one, A Court of Thorns and Roses. Control. Yeah. (laughs) Control. Although, I I think we were going to discuss it later in the episode. I don't think this is a love language, but 
I really want to see fan art of Nesta just dom sub relationship. Like she would dom the hell out of Tamlin and Tamlin would like it. Like he wouldn't realize he liked it till she did it to him. This is a window into discussions that Jess and I have outside of the podcast. <laughs> um, we we really went there. We do want to see Tamlin with a ball gag and completely just... I need to see her in a pair of black leather pleasers, like the ones that you see Gaga wears that she performs in. I'm obsessed with that, but I just, I have this visual of Nesta wearing them and foot to neck on Tamlin and Tamlin is all about it. I'm also all about it. (laughs) I want to see that happen. Please, someone, please make that just fan art so that I can hang that up. And uh, that is really interesting. If you're going into Silver Flames theories, I have seen a lot of TikToks actually that said that Nessa would be a good, not necessarily a mate, but a good partner for Tamlin oh. because of that control um, kink, I guess I could call it, that he has. I think he's just a little bitch and he needs somebody to shape him up. Ugh, he's so frustrating and I mean, we've had three episodes by this point talking between Akawar, Akamath, and Akatar specific about our dislike to to say lightly for Tamlin. And the problem is he couldn't handle a strong woman. He needs a strong woman, but he could not handle a strong woman. No, he really couldn't. And that's a shame because we kind of want to see that. But also, I think it's pretty clear that Nesta belongs with Cassian, and that's just that on that. And we all have to wait for that to kind of play out and i mean this episode is dropping on february 15th so really we see tomorrow if you're listening today what's gonna happen with silver flames apologies in advance for work i i'm just gonna have my email open i don't know (laughs) i think it's very stressful this is obviously jessica's first live release that she's going to be dealing with when it comes to silver flames so it will be interesting to have you read a book live with everybody else and to see the slow rollout of the fan art and the reactions. And, you know, part of me is nervous. No, a big part of me is nervous. And I'm nervous because I hope people are happy with it because of the attacks that Sarah got and the publisher got after the book cover release. Like, I really don't want her to go through that again because she is just like a person. But I'm also nervous because, like, fuck, what is going to happen? I need to know. I need to know badly. I think it goes back to some of our theories also, uh, or theories that we've been seeing other people share of there hasn't been any deaths. Everybody keeps coming back to life. Where's the direction of the story going? We know that Feyre and Rhysand are not at the forefront of the story anymore. The plot is shifting. We do know that there's going to be additional books because we have all these additional chapters. You know that there's going to be an as book. You know that there's unofficially going to also be a more centric book. So seeing that direction will be really interesting because this is part two of that. You know, it's almost, it reminds me of Throne of Glass where we had Throne of Glass, Crown of Midnight, Assassin's Blade. And then that kind of wrapped, you know, and then partway through Air of Fire, it wrapped up part one in a way of Selena's story and transitioning into Aelin. So it's just becoming more familiar. And now that I'm in Queen, Queen of Shadows, where is that going to go? What does that mean for Akatar? I had a discussion with my father-in-law, who is an author the other week, and he was asking me about the publisher of Bloomsbury, and he was asking me about the books in general, which is like super awkward, but it, it was more about the marketing of it because we know 
Sarah has told us that this book is very sexy, it's very steamy, and it is an adult novel compared to everything else, which is marketed as young adult. So that's why all the covers are new. They've slapped them all on so that they can all go into the, you know, adult fantasy section. Which I think I told you when or we posted on our Instagram, I was at Barnes and Noble mm-hmm. and everything was in YA. And then I went back a couple of weeks later because I had to do a return or something. And I always just swing by YA and the Akatar wasn't in YA or they were cross merchandising it with YA, but it was also the shelf right above Game of Thrones. Mm -hmm. So the fact that they're cross-merchandising it in that shift, but her audience is also shifting too, no? Because as people are getting older, the things that you are learning about and reading about, and that's shifting also. And my father-in-law was saying, like, do you consider them the same series then? So the first four books are like their own series. And then this new one that's coming out, is that a separate series because the main characters are going to be different? And he was asking me, like, what makes a series a series? Is it the characters? Is it the world? It was very interesting and something that I hadn't thought of before. My answer to him was, no, I think it's still the same series. It's just like the Harry Potter books, they get darker and more violent the more that you go because... The characters are getting older. Also, the readers are getting older, but the characters are getting older. They're like deep in plot. They're doing more shit. So that was my answer. But it was something that I hadn't considered that I thought I would share with everybody here. But you could also similarly, like in television shows and series, you think, and I just think of Grey's Anatomy because that's the first thing that comes to my head. It's been around for 17 years. There's obviously, you know, you still have Meredith Grey, but all the other main characters have kind of rotated in and out at this point. 17 years, that's bound to happen. But the characters you're you're familiar with, I I don't consider it a different series because they've rolled in like, you know, new regulars. Same thing with with any series that has been around for time when new people are introduced or there's more focus on a character one season than another, I don't not equate it to, oh, well, this is a different show entirely. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it was just just an interesting point that I thought I'd bring up. I think we can talk about we can talk about Nesta. And I know that you and I have been looking a lot at the TikToks of Kaven, Kaven, Kaven. But I I don't know. We'll we'll ask her if she wants to be a guest, too, because I love her. I love, what, what did we say? We love adult women on TikTok. We, we love adult, adult women. women. who read YA on TikTok. Yeah. We love her. And her account, if you're not familiar, is a lot of mm, Nesta hate, or I guess Nesta criticism. And then Nesta criticism is, is more appropriately titled because just because you don't like something, that doesn't automatically mean like there should be like this whole cancel culture of oh we need to cancel this account because she doesn't like nesta because i'm sure that stuff happens out there too but yeah it's just like with constructive criticism just because you have that feedback that doesn't mean it's a bad thing that's true although i am famously terrible at taking constructive criticism oh i thrive off of it i get a performance review and i was like that's great you're telling me i'm great but like what did i do wrong how can i get better i told that to my optometrist i go how can i do better well i say that in the moment I'm like, oh, this is so good. You know, please tell me how I can get better. And then I go home and just analyze. And all I think about is, oh, they said I need to get better. Why Why am I not better? But that's my own personal problem. No. Nesta's personal problem. Is everything? Life? She's a mean, crotchety bitch. And it doesn't get better. And I really like the perspective, especially from um, Kaven Coven. I'm sorry. We'll get it. That she is saying we can't excuse her behavior. Because, I mean, she's probably maybe mentally ill, scarred from what happened, but 
even growing up, she was mean. She's mean to everybody. And also saying that, well, oh, Farah is an unreliable narrator, but other people say that Nesta's mean and that she's grouchy and that she's a bitch. So it doesn't just come from Farah. It comes from other members of the inner circle. So even if Farah was an unreliable narrator, I'm not saying she is or she isn't, that outside perspective is kind of there to just prove that she's awful. But didn't you say in the reread that... Even before she turned Faye, there's a lot of similarities of how Nesta is like their mom. And their mom wasn't nice. If you look back on those scenes, you like she wasn't very maternal. She was very focused on their role in society, the perception that society had on them and their family, not necessarily the the maternal relationship that she would typically have. And there was always a similarity between Nesta and their mom. So I understand where people are coming from, where they say, you know, like, give Nesta a break. She's gone through a lot of trauma. Yeah, she's gone through a lot of trauma now. What was the excuse before when she was 10 years old and a bitch? Or in when, you know, and I know even then they say like, oh, and Nesta got older and they were just trying to test out her. She was just trying to basically let her family die to see if her dad would do anything about it. She wasn't even chopping the wood. Like the simplest thing, but she was sure as hell happy enough to take somebody else's money. Just like when she turned Faye, she's happy to be putting everything on somebody else's tab. I'll only have Christmas with you if you pay my rent. What are you doing? What are you contributing to life? Maybe, you know what? Maybe she is paired well with Tamlin. That exchange that you just reminded me of, you know, having having the holiday if you pay my rent. Sarah makes a point in the book to make sure that we know that the money is handed over. Nesta leaves the house with the rent money. Mm -hmm. And I think that's an interesting little detail that didn't have to be there. But like, yes, she did bribe her. Also, she was already paying the rent. So I didn't understand where she's like, oh, I'll keep paying her. She was already paying the rent. She said like the rent is due. So it's probably a handoff, you know? Uh-huh. I mean, they, they don't have like electronic bank accounts just to make a direct deposit to your landlord <laughs> and shit. You probably got to like walk over there with a bag of gold or whatever. Right. Like I I'm a, I know we all know that Valaris is Zermatt in Switzerland, but visually I'm also imagining downtown Garmisch where mm-hmm. the bank is right by the gym. Just like that little area. That's how I imagine the bank. But there's like you said, no electronic exchange. It's just like money dumping or yep. coin dumping. I don't know. <laughs> coin dumping can you imagine we did not talk in length about chapter 55 and that's something that i know we've gotten in the comments being like please talk about chapter 55 and we kind of glossed over it because we focused on the importance of chapter 54 so here's my point with the akabaf blankets shipping (laughs) that that show them all covered in paint about to bone So we should talk we should talk about chapter 55. It is important. I mean, obviously like it's very pivotal in the I mean, for a lot of people that's that's the shift and that's is when it clicks. Like that's when the mating bond clicks collectively. There's an acceptance there. Yeah. And I mean, all the soup memes, all of the yeah. Why does it have to be Campbell's? Like there's so many yeah. other better There's so soups. many like, Progresso or some shit. I don't know. <laughs> or what is it? What is that one soup? It's like hearty soup. Health and hearty. Oh no, I'm thinking of the restaurant. No, it 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 used to be like football football people. Oh yeah, used, it was like the manly soup, like the, the manly chunky soup. soup. <laughs> yeah, chunky. Yeah, it's the chunky. Couldn't oh, be that. So-
Gotta be Campbell's. Why you gotta make it weird every time I open soup? You know what the Campbell's kids on? God. Hey, I just want to eat my chicken and stars and not think about, like... <laughs> Fucking. Not, not even. Just, what do they call it? Like, a frenzy to have children? Like, I don't need to think about that. Every time I'm sick, the mating bond frenzy, but I don't even, it's not like a children frenzy. It's literally just their hormones are going. I I mean, I would have to assume I've never been engaged that it's that, oh my gosh, I'm so happy. I'm on that high, that love high that comes with it. I'm assuming. I'm married. I don't know. (laughs) I didn't. (laughs) Oh, poor Sam. Well, no, like we were in a hotel room with my mom. Like it wasn't That's true in the middle of a desert. In the middle of the desert, it wasn't conducive to uh, <laughs> frenzied lovemaking. But uh, take the point. Oh, speaking of Sam, very funny, very funny aside. He said, "Oh, you're going into your podcast hole where I record." And I was like, "Don't call it that." <laughs> Especially not today. Like we're drinking, we're talking about things don't call it my podcast hole your podcast orifice no that's not no (laughs) just a cave just call it a cave call it when the when the bat lights are up i like calling it your bat cave especially knowing how much you love bruce wayne or batman yeah true back on topic i think this is an important moral question that i saw i don't know on some media platform it was what is the morality behind Feyre totally fucking up the spring court and was that something that she needed to do? Um, I Yes. <laughs> I don't have a problem with it. Good for her. Yeah, I also don't have a problem with it because it was going to fall anyway. So why not get your revenge out of the way? And they, and they, I feel like that's discussed too. But this goes back to the accountability of it all, that Tamlin doesn't want to take any accountability of what happened in his own court because it was already happening when he would favor Yanthi over his centuries, favor Yanthi over everybody. Because even with Feyre, it was like, oh, well, Yanthi is the guide. She's the person who, even though it should have been Lucian, like it was essentially like he sought to her for everything. And also the tithe. Right. So this all started way before, you know, like the tithe, he was such an asshole. He was such an asshole. He knew that his people didn't have the resources to pay him. I have a question. I still have a question about that because he, obviously the water wraiths couldn't pay and fish. So then they later substituted for jewels. Could they have paid in anything? Could they have been like, here's a pile of leaves. And he'd be like, thank you for it. Like, it was it just the, the gesture of handing something, presenting something to Tamlin in the spring court? That's a good question. I have to imagine that it is, that your tithe is, based on your station. So like water rates gives fish or, you know, the equivalent of maybe a duke or something gives money. I I think, you know, if you were maybe like a a tree sprite or something, then it could be leaves. I think it's proportional to who and what you are. I'm here for a sliding scale. Yeah, for real. So we know also that the tithe in the spring court is kind of looked upon poorly. Just from the other characters saying like, yeah, we don't do that. I feel like the spring court is very backwards in everything. No. Yeah, that was that was exactly what I was going to say. The spring court does seem to be really backwards in everything. And Tamlin, uh, it just goes back to him not doing anything for 49 years. Like his people were suffering 
for 49 years and he didn't do anything until the very end to fix it. And then immediately after demands all of this payment because now that Amaranth is gone, they can uphold their traditions. Like at what point? What was he doing the last 49 years then? At least we know Reese was under the mountain. He he physically couldn't do anything. So what was Tamlin doing? Not shit. Not shit. Sitting there, and this this brings up another point, sitting there, and I saw some, it wasn't fan art. I don't know what it was. Maybe it was just one of those like friendly reminder type things you see on Instagram. It's like, do you think Tamlin and Lucian were fucking? Oh, I mean- I feel like they've had to at some point, no? Right, like maybe. And not like the whole Song of Achilles where they've grown up with each other and there was just like this love. Like I feel like they, who knows, maybe they, something happened on Calamai. It's been happening for 500 years. I don't know. It's just one of those interesting things. I didn't see that, but that's interesting. Yeah, why else would Lucian like stick around? Like there had to be something else besides well he well we already know that lucian he couldn't go home you know he's already and it's not even that it was his mate we know that elaine is is his mate but he was in love with this girl that his father killed and that whole man everybody has trauma even fictional characters yeah for real but also like lucian could he went to the day court like he went to to all these other places like there were a lot of options there were options yeah there there were options that's all i'm saying it was just one of those interesting things Hmm. Yeah, it's, a, it's something to think about that maybe, you know. Are these like different canon things? I'm sure there has to be. I mean, at this point, I've learned from discussions. You know how Apple's thing when they first came out was like, there's an app for that. There's a fanfic for that. I'm sure that there is a Tamlin, Lucian, whatever their fandom name is, fanfic out there. There is a rule about that when it comes to porn. And the rule with porn is if you can think it, there's porn of it. So, I mean, probably. (laughs) Uh, That's a really good segue, though, into our next section. I'm looking at my notes. And that section is about fanfic. We've said we're going to talk about it a lot in other episodes, and we just haven't gotten to it. But we have it now. If you can't tell by now, we go off on tangents a lot, which also makes is one of the reasons why this podcast is so fun, because then you just kind of spiral with your own theories and discussions. And I don't know. It's nice to have somebody to hear and share these stories with, but who knows? Who cares if they're listening to us? But we, <laughs> we, we like you guys. We love the feedback. Always the feedback. Nice, positive feedback. Po- yeah, positive gen- feedback. Gen- gently. Gently. I'm vulnerable. <laughs> so we have we have a whole chunk in our notes about the fanfic. And then, again, this all came to me in the shower. Shower thoughts. I love your shower thoughts. When Jessica first started reading Akatar, she would read chapter summaries. Yeah, there was a blog. I, I'm not even, I don't even remember the blog. Um, there was a blog out there that recapped chapters. So, and it was, again, part of the reason was because this was my first fantasy reading. I wanted to make sure I wasn't missing out on anything. So I would read a certain amount of chapters and then I would go back to the recap to just like refresh because I just wanted to be on top of everything. And then it got to a point where it was just negative feedback after negative feedback. There was nothing. And I feel like it took away from the book. And I understand that everybody's entitled to their opinions, even if they're wrong. <laughs> 
but it just took away from the experience. So at some point I said, I'm, I told you, I said, I'm not reading the blog anymore. It's taking away. I want to enjoy the book as is and have my own experience because that's what it is. And I think that's why everybody gets so emotionally swept up into Sarah's worlds is because there is an emotional impact for people because otherwise it's just you're, you're reading it onto the next. Yeah, exactly. So here's how I'm going to start this. Because the blog ended up being negative and you recognize that and you recognize that like what you were feeling wasn't vibing with the blog. So you, you stopped reading it because it was influencing how you were reacting to certain things. Right. So that brings us to fanfic. And of course, we love fanfic. We support all fanfic. We support fanfic artists. Yes, please. More of it always. But here's my question that could get people heated. When the story isn't finished, and we know that this Akatar series, we know it's not finished. So when do you read the fanfic? And I'm not asking for like, oh, you read this now because this, uh, it's more like it's, it's bigger than that. So what if you read the fanfic and you love it so much that it becomes your headcanon and then say Silver Flames comes out and it doesn't match up with what you wanted in the fanfic that you read that you loved? And then you end up not liking the book. It's sticky. It's really sticky. Yeah. Because what you're reading is your headcanon, but then the book is out and that's actual canon. Right. So can you really shit on the book if you don't like it because you like the fanfic better? At what point does that become fair or not fair? And then there's a consistency aspect of it too, because I think of, and not that I'm opposed to fanfic. I, I think I've said in previous episodes, I was deep into Elicity fanfic. And that says something also because I was all about Oliver, Queen of Felicity from Arrow, if anybody's familiar with it. Um, that wasn't supposed to be anything. It was supposed to be a throwaway role for Emily Bett Ricard's uh, three episode arc, I think. And now it made its way into canon. And I loved the characters. And of course, you have some people who write better than others. I was able to differentiate between this would totally happen on the show. This would not this, you know, but I never took it as this is I, I would I knew I was like, this is an OTP. This is endgame like this needs to be endgame. But it's interesting that the writers, th there were fanfics that I would read. And then like, a season or two later, I saw that the writers were like, are you lacking that much creativity that you can't even credit the people who originally established these these roles? And that can spiral into, it, it wasn't supposed to be Oliver and Felicity. It was supposed to be Oliver and Laura Lance. And then I also think of Supernatural and I haven't watched the last two seasons because I'm in denial that the whole series is actually over where spoiler, supernatural spoiler from what I know that Castiel says that he loves Dean. I am aware of this. However, did that line just, was it fan service, you know, at that point, or was that always going to be the character arc? I don't know, but this goes into your question, Laura, of like, where's the line? And is it fair to judge the original creator of their concepts and their plots and their characters and their storyline? Is it fair to judge and criticize them because it didn't come out the way you want to? which also lines into Arabin of like, I can't have her. Nobody can have her. Well, if it doesn't come out my way, I'm going to stamp, stop my foot around. And this, of course, brings us to Game of Thrones, which Jess, like, I know that you, Jess has not watched it, but the other day she's like, oh, I really like like dragons and wyverns. Like maybe I'll like Game of Thrones now, which I love. <laughs> and, and we have another friend that isn't involved in the podcast that will just die from excitement if she does. But my point with Game of Thrones is, 
We all hate the last season for what it did to Danny. That sucks, right? It sucks. It's over. The TV series is over. But there are a lot of babies that are named Daenerys, Danny, Khaleesi, because they thought that her character was going a certain way and then it didn't. So you, I don't know, you just, you picked your character too soon before the end. You know, it's like never name something after something until it's over so that you have the whole story arc. Literally why I haven't gotten a Crescent City tattoo because I'm like, I don't know where this is going, but I don't know where this is going. Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. But on the flip side of that, when we're talking about books versus anything else, Game of Thrones, the books are not finished. They're not even close to being finished. Gurm has not, I call him Gurm, Gurm has not put out any books since book five. And my God, that's so far away in what happened in the series. So going back to your point with the writers, will Gurm like course correct when he saw the outpouring of hate that the last season got? Because you have to think he has some input in the show, but since everyone hated it so much, is he going to go back and fix it but then is that actually or does he get inspiration to be like okay that's because i know I, like the 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 rumor i i don't follow it that much is that he says like he has writer's block and i don't deny writer's block i i don't write i don't know i just i i even when they're like oh open-ended questions no give me a prompt i need something right is it to say maybe that stimulates okay i see the feedback i definitely know that that's not what's going to happen with that character let me pivot. And I guess that same could be said about a lot of things because isn't that what happened with the more recent Star Wars movies where like things were really good and then things weren't good. And then there was a shift where people said, well, then if it shifted the way it did for the most recent one that came out in 2019, then that second movie became obsolete. There's a lot of feedback there. Well, and also there's a lot of gatekeeping too. Is the course correcting happening through these spinoffs on Disney Plus where you have the Mandalorian and then you have the, you know, Rogue Squad. They they announced a shit ton at Investor Day. It's hard to keep up. But are they trying to course correct to be like, you know what, the Star Wars cinematic universe wasn't exactly getting that positive feedback. So let's try to try to change the course into something more relevant to make people excited again. I think they have to do that. This goes both ways. So my husband and I were watching Harley Quinn and there's an episode where it starts off with two guys sitting in a basement being like, I don't want to watch Harley Quinn. It's just all about women. And one of them is wearing a t-shirt that says release the Snyder cut, which we know is Snyder's version of Justice League. Right. And that's different from the one that, you know, Joss put out and there's that whole drama. And then there's another guy sitting next to him that says the last Jedi isn't canon. And that it's just perfect because that's exactly what we're talking about. And when we're talking about gatekeeping, it is a lot of not to be like a bitch, but it is a lot of like older generation male fans that are just shitting on everything new that's coming out. So, I mean, that can go both ways. But I think we're getting off track. If we circle it back to fan fiction, I have three examples of fan fiction that we want to shout out. The first is a really, really popular one that's Reese's point of view in Akamath, and that's by Illyrian Tremors. A lot of people have read it. A lot of people love it. Oh, you said that that's like a good one. Somebody had recommended it on TikTok, and I have been saying, I go, the only way I'd want to revisit Tamlin is if Sarah did the same thing that Stephanie Myers did and rewrote the first three Akatar in a Reese point of view. I would, I, I mean, whore for that shit. Yeah. 
I would be all up in it. This one in specific, the Illyrian Tremors one with Reese's point of view, I think that one is more of a fanfic that you can read no matter what because Mm -hmm. we do know some of Reese's perspective because he gives it to us in 54, chapter 54 in Akamath. So we, we have a little bit of that. So I feel like that is less influential on the rest of the story. So like enjoy that. There's another one by YA Fan 92 that is the as 18 plus very steamy fic. Now I bring this one up because we know that there's going to be as chapters in some of the special editions of Silver Flames. Now, does that set up as getting his own book? We can only hope. Well, and also it's not far-fetched about thinking of a steamy as scenario, especially... Yes, Sarah gave us that. Sarah gave us that. So you are it's not far off. Although there's an Instagram account, Akatar Azrael, I think it is. I, we could post it in it. They've been so wonderful. They're always interacting with us on our Instagram page. They're regularly posting mini fanfic posts in their Instagram. And they range from like, okay, like here, there, here's a, sp- uh, a plot. Here's a storyline. Here's this continuation for like various posts to like very steamy two swipe post one-offs. And I'm just like, I should not be like, I need to get my Daft Boy fan that you got me. (laughs) Because it's especially in some people, you know, and it's really funny in the comments because you have some people saying like, I'm in class. Why are you posting? (laughs) It's so true. You know, that, and that's what we get for having all of this access to social media on our phones. We can be in class just reading pure smut while we're getting lectured at. And I think that's beautiful. I feel like everybody's had to train ourselves, especially in class, to be able to do that multitasking of whether it's class or especially in a Zoom-filled world where a lot of us are working remotely also, where you're just paying attention in a meeting, but I'm also reading some like really steamy stuff. And I told you the other day, I was doing one thing, but I was pitching an idea on the other. And I go, hey, here's an idea for this movie that we're working on. I I don't know. It's, It's really fun. It is. It is. And being able to read on our phones and read on Kindle really helps take away stigma too, but that that's a whole other conversation. The last fanfic and probably the the most famous one that I'm going to touch on is Mass Trash's fanfic. We love Bethany. We love Bethany. She's wonderful. I have to say I haven't read this yet because of the issues that I said. I don't want this to influence what happens in Silver Flame. Agreed. However, I I will read this. And I will. Bethany's fic is Dark and Decay. Yes, A Court of Dark and Decay. That's Bethany's fanfic. It is very popular. She's still updating it. So check that out if you're interested. That is a Nessian fic. It is with her in the camps. It's all of that. So as I said, I'm not reading it because I don't want it to influence Silver Flames, but I will read it. Bethany, we love you. Thank you for everything. You're a perfect Nesta. I also want to give a shout out to Literary Libra. Literary Libra is fantastic on TikTok. And I went through her reactions to the Akatar series today just to get in that headspace because, as I said, we're in the Throne of Glass headspace. And she said something really fantastic that I wanted to share, and you can find this video. She said that she loves Akatar in a different way than she loves Throne of Glass. She loves Akatar because Akatar made her love herself again. And that's exactly what you, how you were pitching the whole thing to me since its infancy, trying to get me into this book. Even each book, you're like, this is about her discovering herself. And then this is the part where she learns her powers. And then it goes into like, well, how are you going to apply what you learn? And you were so, so passionate about that 
self-discovery when trying to get me to read these books because I wasn't in that headspace. I, you know, I was very, I don't want to say weak. I was just in a very different headspace than where I am now. So who knows if I would have been able to see that in that point of view at that time. But I totally, that totally makes sense that she was saying it. Mm -hmm. And she says, you know, like Farah is going through all of this. She's going through her healing. We know that Silver Flames is supposed to be about Nesta going through her healing. So like maybe that'll be something. But Literary Libra really kind of drove home the point. She's like, you know, I read this first. So I healed myself with Akatar. I learned to love myself with Akatar. I learned to love Reese and to have that fuzzy feeling of this family that's around me and, you know, overcoming all of these obstacles with this love because Akatar is about love, this love. And love in any capacity. And I think that's really important because I also think just like with the term relationship, people automatically attach it to romantic and they don't realize you could have professional relationships, you could have platonic relationships and the depth of those relationships as well. Same thing with love. Like you can love in different capacities and there is a difference between loving somebody as a friend, as a family, as a sister, as a coworker, as a colleague, as somebody you are romantically involved with. And even then there's different levels of love where you can love somebody romantically, but they might not be your soulmate. Or as we're seeing continuously with Sarah's characters, different parts of your life are, you know, you can have multiple soulmates maybe. Maybe they're not, quote unquote, your mate the way Sarah has them portrayed in her books, but soulmate in the capacity of that is who you needed at that point in your life. Exactly. As we said, Jessica is reading Throne of Glass, and I think it's helpful starting with Akatar. So you start with and connect with Thera and her journey, and then you, so far, are, are we're all wrapped up in Reese and Thera's story, and then going from Akatar to Throne of Glass, where you have Selena, and she's so different. But if you read Akatar first, then like you're healed, you're ready and able to experience what Selena slash Aelin is because she's a force of nature, and she's so different from Thera. But instead of saying one is better than the other, I feel like they're good complements to each other, different sides of the coin. And I know people won't think that, but, you know, you have to have the soft to have the hard. And, and people don't like Aelin for a lot of reasons. I know we talked about this in our bonus episode that we had a few weeks ago, and it was a big controversy when I had posted a TikTok. I was like, hey, Lynn is so much more of a badass. And I got schooled and I totally, I, I was like, you know what? Not in a bad way, just in an educated way, because we're so used to seeing badasses in one form and we are all badasses in our own in our own way. And we've all gone through different things and different traumas. And I think that was really important for me to be reminded that Aelin is one way, Feyre is the other. Um, they are different people. They have very different personalities. That does not make one greater than another. Everybody's going to have their own protagonist that they're going to lean towards. Just like I love Bryce and I love Aelin and I no, for me personally, it's because I see something in them that I don't necessarily have. But the relatability of Feyre of, you know, it, a lot of us can relate to Feyre. Like we're all pretty much the same. And to find that strength in yourself is just as important as being openly sassy and openly confident. Because just because you're vocal or because you're not vocal, that doesn't make you less than. And I, I really appreciated that reminder from the fandom of reminding me that we all are different but that doesn't make us one way or the other. 
And Feyre is very special in her own right because she's the only one that starts off mortal. So she starts off on the same foot as like you and I. And then this extraordinary thing happens to her. And then she has to to learn and we are learning with her. And, you know, it's not the same with Bryce, who is, you know, always been half Fae. And it's not the same with Aelin, who knew that she was Fae and had this other form from infancy, right? From a child. So, like, she knew that. Yeah. In her human form, it's like you find out that it's not like she's human. That human is her shape, her shifting shape. Her, like, animal form. Yeah, right. Because all Fae have an animal form and humans are animals just like everybody else. And that is really what makes Akatar so special is we're going through this journey with Pharaoh. We're seeing it through her eyes. Like she, you know, she is experiencing everything. And I think another reason why people love 55 so much is that Reese lays it all out and it's her choice, as everything always is, to accept or not accept the mating bond. And, you know, she does. She makes her decision. And then they are just basking in this physical representation of all of this love that Reese has been giving her since really book one. You know, sometimes in high school, and I was totally guilty of it, where you might not have liked a person and then all of a sudden you find out he or she likes you. And all of a sudden you're like, oh, well, now I like that person. And I think it's important to note that she had already made her decision that she wanted a life with Reese. It wasn't that he emotionally dumped all this information on her in chapter 54. And then she goes, oh, okay, I like you now. She had already made her decision before knowing this backstory. And I mean, she says, she's like, I had made my decision when I saw you on the doorstep. Let's not forget that wasn't when she made the decision. She made the decision prior to him even showing up. What am I doing? I never saw myself having a future. And Reese is the first time that I've had this future. Want And not just had this future, wanting a future. She was very lived day to day for a long time, which transferred into her fae life because she had to. She was constantly in survival mode. She didn't have the privilege to think about the future because she couldn't, because she wasn't sure if, if she could. Right. That is exactly the point. So now I think it's a good time to really have a section on theories and ideas for Silver Flames. And I think a good way to start that is with the absolutely incredible fan art from Ink Fae, which is... She or he, I don't know who Ink Fae is, served this week because who is the, t- the TikTok account Jenny Books 96 She had this picture of her with a good filter of close to us right now, that song that Damon and Elena danced to in the club. And she had this whole like blurb. Not even, I can't even say a fanfic. She had that sentence. She's like, imagine you're at a club, you're dancing, and Cassian comes up to grind on you. And you're just like, okay, like I haven't grind since high school or college. I don't know. It's been a while. But I'm imagining, I'm going with it. And then right after, it's all in one sentence. And then she goes, and then Azrael comes up behind you. And like puts his lips on your neck or something, whatever it was, sent Inkfe into a creative, beautiful fan art where I can't, I'm trying to size it into the wallpaper of my iPhone so I don't have to cut off the wings. I just want this this perfect portrait mode, a beautiful fan art. <sighs> Inkfe, please do personalized orders of this. Oh yeah, imagine 
the money that Inkfei could make and like free idea right here to commission art where all you have to do, keep the same outfit or not. And all you're changing is like what somebody wants hair color preference. Like they do it all the time on Etsy shops, customize my hair to red and we, I will fucking sold. Sold. I mean, I'd buy it for that one or I'd be happy with an as Reese one. So, mm-hmm. and I, I know with Procreate, it's so easy to just kind of not necessarily copy paste, but you can do the different layers where you can switch things out. I'm not familiar with the program, but I know people who are know that that is a function. Switch it out, man. Make commission, make money, take mine. Take mine. Because... <sighs> imagining Ooh, that scenario <laughs> I, oh, I I mean again we have our six hour time difference and I just I know I was like at night sending it to you and you were waking up to that set the tone for the day it was fantastic <laughs> I am still giggly over it but that also sparked our off podcast conversation of the bat boys and the sauna And even, I mean, as far back as, you know, this is a recap episode. So as far back as Frost and Starlight, where Moore brings favor to the cabin, the boys are playing, are doing snowball fights. Then they go into the sauna and Feyre is imagining the boys in the sauna and Reese goes, oh, is this something that you're interested in? And she goes, I thought you males were territorial. And he's like, I'm interested in learning whatever you're interested in. Like, (laughs) first of all, the security of Reese. Oh, yes. We love it. We have to stand it. Oh, I love it so much. And then it makes you think. And I, I feel like maybe we've had this conversation before. I don't know if it's been recorded or not. To what you said, the security and the sense of self. So often, three ways, threesomes, polyamorous relationships in different capacities, especially in porn, it's always two females and a male. And it's exclusively for the male satisfaction. So to see that even come across and portrayed in Sarah's, not that I I wouldn't expect this from Sarah because Sarah is super feminist. And sex positive. And sex positive. To see this narrative, I'm, I'm totally here for. I'm, you know, I think we've had the discussion of do we think Reese as and Cassian have ever hooked up amongst each other yes yes we do <laughs> we don't know the exact pairings but it, it it i mean come on definitely as in reese definitely reese and cass i guess they all have pa- like i feel like they've all paired at some point yeah. but i don't know if it's been a openly all three of them amongst each other i'm picturing it it's fantastic <laughs> So we know that they grew up together. We know that they were soldiers. We know that things happened in soldiers' camps. And there were no females in their camps when they were growing up. Right. And there's a lot of testosterone. All the (laughs) hormones are raging. They're all so hot in their own way. Yeah, I think they've all paired off at some point and think maybe all three of them together. I don't I don't know. I don't know. My question would be, <laughs> I, I, well, I have several, the ones that I'll voice are here. Are these rhetorical or do I need to answer them? Because... Um, I, would, I would love your opinion. So my question would be, which two do you think Pharaoh would choose? And then which two do you think Nesta would choose? Nesta is easy. I think Nesta will be Cassian, reluctantly Cassian. She would choose as first just so Cassian doesn't have that ego of, oh, well, I was the first name she said. Mm-hmm. 
And that part of that stems from the excerpts that Sarah has been releasing on her Instagram page. So you are all very as centric. Yeah. And that's also very to align with our fanfic conversation of, oh, wow. So like some of these fanfics are very much aligned with how she's perceiving as is the same way how we've been perceiving as. So I think it would be a, a, and not Reese, not just because she can't Dan to be in the same room of, with Reese for five minutes. But I, as, as shitty as a person Nesta is that we know of right now, I feel like that's where she would draw the line with her sister. We can all hope, right? For Feyre, I, I think hers would be Reese and As because she sees Cassie as much as I would like to think. As, I don't know if I'd like to think, but as much as Cassie and is like a brother to her, I think she really is. He might be attractive, but she has that relationship with him where it's more brotherly than he's a friend. Yeah, I totally see it. And I also don't think that Reese would do that to Farah. I mean, sleep with Nesta. No. In any situation. Like, he wouldn't no, no, do no. that either. It would have to be. I mean, even if he was somebody who, even if he has been with Az, even if he has been with Cass, I feel like finding his mate, like, yeah, he's secure with himself. Yes. Willing to explore different avenues of the bedroom, if that would appease her. But I feel like he's settled. And I'm not saying, like, monogamy is the only way to go, to quote legendary Britney Spears. Queen and icon. Uh, queen and icon. Free Britney. I think Reese is just, he's at a point where he goes, this is what he wants out of life. Monogamy is for some people, for others, it's not. And I think for him, it is. And he has his mate and he'll do whatever it is to make her happy. But if he doesn't have to share, he's not going to. And that's so like for me, as somebody who does believe in monogamy, that's just as sexy and hot for me like yes please like let me be the only queen you worship for real that being said i wouldn't mind all three of them worshiping me at the same time yeah i don't think anyone would they're all so (laughs) fine they're all so fine this ties in to from blood and ash we know just you know that the joining is a thing you know that it's a thing with three people and i find it very interesting that Sarah talked about a very steamy like throughway scene that she had to take out and this book comes out in February and then Jennifer's book Gilded a Crown of Crown of Gilded Bones Gilded Bones comes out in April and there's pretty much guaranteed a three-way scene in that book and the recommendations on my Audible and my Kindle have had a lot of reverse harems in them so I'm I'm wondering if this topic is becoming less taboo and more accepted or if it's just this is the attitude that the readers are wanting and like what they want out of books and the more popular authors are catering to them i don't know it's just a very interesting kind of i i think initially when we found out about that like i mean again the threesome scene that sarah talks about i feel like that was very very headcanon before she even openly admitted that and then when she said that she had submitted it and then took that chapter out there was an assumption that it was removed from the first draft of the book because the publisher bloomsbury had asked for it to be removed then you know as we're stuck at home or instagram lives are happening you find out that sarah decided to take it out for herself she's like oh this is this is even a little too much for me like i went there but and to see that jla did not do that so who knows if sarah might release that as its own excerpt like she does with she has done with other chapters or she adds it into a different book in the future because it is like with anything the more it's talked about the more mainstream it is i mean it's very openly discussed on 
TikTok and Instagram, social media wise, not so much Facebook because I feel like Facebook is where the older generation, like our like parents our parents are. are. You know, it used to be only if way back in the day you had to have a .edu account for Facebook. So you're not necessarily going to talk about threesomes and reverse harems when your parents and grandparents are sharing pictures of like, oh, my daughter came home for this weekend. Yeah, they they don't need that. We don't need that. We don't need that. But I also think having, you know, to take away the stigmas, like how we're doing now is we're able to have an open conversation that isn't necessarily smutty, but an actual intellectual, you know, curiosity of like, where, what does this mean for the future? What does this mean? And I feel like... I know you've discussed it about Shadowhunter series where there is a polyamorous relationship and even just it being portrayed and being openly discussed and taking away the stigma and like taking ownership of it. Because why shouldn't we? Why shouldn't we be sex positive, you know, with so many things that are negative in the world? Like, why don't you want to hype it up? Like to each their own. Why are we judging? If we feel ashamed that we're reading about it, if anything, we're feeling ashamed because societal expectations are telling us we should feel ashamed, ashamed about having these conversations. And I know Cassie Clare gets a lot of hate and reasonably so for the first Shadowhunter books, but the later ones specifically, the relationship that's portrayed between the three characters, and you know, if you read those books, you know what I'm talking about, is very, very loving. It is just wonderful. And they say, those three characters say, like, they love each other separately. And sometimes the two guys want to be together. Sometimes she just wants to be with one of the guys. And sometimes she just wants to be with one of the other. But they feel whole when they're together. And it's really lovely. And I think it's something that isn't talked about enough. And Cassie Clare did a really good job with that. And the, the female in that comes from a very conservative, like religious household. And she said that this is what I want. And her mother says something really fantastic. She goes, well, it doesn't surprise me that it takes two men to please you. <laughs> It's just, it's really great. You know, and and I wonder if having that narrative switches the convert. And I have to assume, because I I haven't read Shadowhunters. I haven't read anything by Cassie Clare yet. Having that conversation and that switch of narrative has completely opened up people in having these conversations and being more accepting of what might work for others might not work for yourself but also take away the whole male driven male pleasure male satisfaction that is portrayed in pornography even with the at its foundation just like double penetration like it has nothing to do with the woman they try to act like that's the case well and they never show her face because it's always like grimacing because it's you know especially in porn it's like but as you're saying like in a in a loving kind of worshiping situation i think it's really different and i think with nesta it would be solely about her I mean, same. Well, yeah. I openly, I'm a jealous bitch. If you give me a reason to be jealous. I also also have like a lot of insecurities. I would be, it, it would be like um that Gossip Girl a- episode where it was Dan, Hilary Duff, and Vanessa. And they try to make it like it's a sexy scene. And the actual, the scene is Hillary just winds up having to watch Vanessa and Dan hook up the whole time. In book two of uh, From Blood and Ash, there is a, kind of set up for the joining and it's awkward as hell i'm interested to because we're obviously going to have a from blood and ash episode and flesh and fire episode 
and Crown of Guilt and Gold Bones. I'm interested to see how it's written. Usually it's such a visual experience when, you, when you're when you used to seeing something portrayed like this. So to see how it's written, I've never read a reverse harem. I've never read a threesome scene. I don't think so. No, I think I would have remembered that. How somebody writes it. And maybe more specifically, how a published author writes it, as opposed to somebody who writes fanfic. Not to discredit fanfic. Fanfic isn't just like, isn't, like isn't spot doesn't have a formal publishing house it's so awkward in flesh and fire it's so awkward in my head it's very like right hand red <laughs> left foot blue <laughs> well it's I, I have to say and this, this i mean you're not wrong it's intention i i feel personally this is my opinion that it is written to be awkward because it is awkward or because that's the intent I think because all of the people involved haven't realized how they feel, right? So they're put in this situation and they have to do this thing. It's a thing. I mean, this isn't, it's not. We're, we're specifically talking about JLA right now, right? Yeah. We're okay. specifically talking about JLA. But the thing that's happening isn't inherently sexual. It just kind of ends that way. And one of the, no, no, I'm not, I'm not elaborating. I'm not answering your questions. <laughs> And one of the participants just leaves. Like, it, it just Sam. leaves. It, like, doesn't, doesn't talk to anybody, just is like, bye, and then just walks out. And then the other two characters have a very sexual encounter. And it, it's just really funny. And towards the end of the book, it gets a little bit less awkward between the three of them. And then, obviously, the next book is, like, we're getting the joining. But I feel like that is important leading up to the three-way like yeah it was, it was pretty weird it was kind of <laughs> awkward and then you get more comfortable when you realize emotionally like what's going on and then you know obviously we're all very excited to read about the joining so that being said if it's becoming more mainstream do we think we're going to see it in future books more regularly mm, i hope so not i will say not in YA. Obviously, YA has restrictions. So it would have to be new adult and above. But that being said, Gen Z, we are not Gen Z. Gen Z is very open about everything. So like everything, they've been changing. They've been changing the course of how things are accepted. And I absolutely love it. Right. So, I mean, there are sex scenes in YA. And, some, you know, some of them get the job done when it comes to Spice. Some of them don't. I think that there would be a way to write a three-way scene that put it in a YA book that could meet the, you know, standards of YA and like not go too far. I think it could be done. Maybe like a fade to black situation where you say like all three of them are together and like close her off and then you fade to black and then, you know, I think it could be done. And I think it is going to be up to future generations to blaze the trail and say, this is what we want, this is what we expect, and... And to show it in a healthy capacity, I think, yeah. is just... I think with everything, it's about being, like we've said, how sex-positive Sarah is, showing things in a positive light. Because right now, the reason that there are stigmas is because you're only seeing it from... Not you, but like a societal you is only portraying it in one facet. Absolutely. And we know just from, you know, sociology and things that our media and our printed word reflects the times and the needs and wants of, you know, what's happening currently. So if Gen Z demands it, it will happen. 
you can see that in the number of books about non-binary characters and like gay characters and all of that is now much more prevalent than it was when we were growing up. Well, that's why, I mean, even from from a visual media standpoint, you have Will and Grace came out before it was openly accepted to have a lead male gay character on TV, on, and not just like on TV, in a primetime spot on a cable network to the demand that now you flash forward 20 years later and there was a complete reboot and need and want for that character because it became so mainstream. Like the demand is there to what you said. If the demand is there, the content will be there. Growing up, I think the closest thing that we had was Xena which was not an explicitly, like, lesbian relationship, but it was very much hinted. Her and Gabby? Yeah. God, I forgot about Xena. Yeah. Lucy Lawless, man. Lucy Lawless, the original queen. And also on Buffy, Tara and Willow. And Dawson's Creek, that was the first kiss on... Oh, with Kerr Smith. Yeah, he was the first. So those are, we said now, four examples, and that's just from our childhood. But now... And even then, it was a huge thing. It was a huge deal. It was a huge deal. And he was in high school. Yeah. And that's also a different conversation to have. And I, I'm definitely not the person to have it because I'm not as well aware or have gone through these experiences. But to have that conversation that people, like older generations, still try to be like, well, how do you know your sexuality when you're X age or whatever? Nobody questions it. With so, if somebody is openly saying their sexuality when it's of the opposite gender. So that's a whole different conversation to have. And the fact that, you know, even at high school, people are like, oh, or middle school, you know who you're attracted to. Sometimes you don't even know who you're attracted to until it actually happens. Right. So that's, that, that sometimes you're like, oh, I did not think I was, you know, I was going to kiss a girl and here I am kissing a girl. But, you know, or sometimes you do it and you're like, OK, well, that's not for me. But I tr- at least I tried. And sometimes, like Dr. Jean on sex education, Jillian Anderson, we love you, tells us that it is okay to not feel attraction to anyone at all. So there's that. Sex education, check it out on Netflix. Oh, my gosh. And that's that's an additional important conversation to have because media kind of, I don't want to say enforces, but it's so driven that everything is about sex. Sex sells. I mean, even with... The sexualization of female breast has people talk about boobs more than for for sexual pleasure than for their actual function. Feeding babies at the end of the day, exactly. And I think it's really important to to what you said. Like, not everything has to be sexualized, and not everybody are sexual beings. The student or the person who went to her to say that to say, is there something wrong with me? No. Ugh. That quote is so good, too. Like, sex doesn't make you whole. So how can you be broken? Ugh. I love it. That's such a good show. It's a good show. Check it out on Netflix. Sex Education. Jillian Anderson is a queen. And Emma McKay. We yeah, love gosh. Emma McKay. Who could be the doppelganger to Margot Robbie. I cannot wait till Death on the Nile comes out. <laughs> I want to be her best friend. So I think a good way to wrap this up would be to go through our top five moments of the entire series. I'll start. I have my top five. My first one, of course, will always be the first time that Reese and Vera go to the night court. The bowing, the power, the sexiness, the, 
you know, descriptions of everything. The writhing. Yeah, the writhing. Reese, <laughs> Reese breaking uh, Morzad's arm is just Kier. I always forget his name. His name is Kier. I love that part. I love it. I, I like, Sarah doesn't do this often, but I like the wildness of the Court of Nightmares and the, the darkness and the like feral kind of emotions that are there. She doesn't do that in other places and like situations and stories like that doesn't kind of exist. I think the closest thing that we have is Bryce dancing on the dance floor in The Raven. That's as close as we get to it. So I really like the way that everything is portrayed there. Uh, my second is everything that happens in the inn. I find that very sexy. The way that Reese will take anything that Feyre gives, the way that Feyre is slowly starting to realize what is going on with Reese and accepting that maybe other people will think that she's kind of a whore, but she doesn't really care because this is what she wants. I really love that. My third, obviously, is the High Lord's meeting and As just losing his shit. <laughs> Don't talk about. Oh, so good. Batty Daddy Azzy, we love you. We love you, Batty Daddy Azzy. And really just Reese putting Tamlin in his place and the other High Lords and their reactions and also the description of their location is gorgeous and more being like, I want this. The next time you have to build a house, it's just very good. Number four is as chugging that bottle of wine after Cassian and Feyre fuck up all the decorations. So good. So fantastic. I love Peachy's cosplay that she did recently of her portraying all three characters. I mean, she's another queen that we just were going to stand forever, who does such a great job at depicting these characters, finding the songs, creating the moments. And you're just like, to me, even though it's not necessarily a written fanfic, it's a cosplay fanfic that's portrayed off of a scene. I'm like, well, that's canon. That's exactly actually how it happened. Like, Feyre's on the floor with a bottle of wine and she's just like, here's the bot, not even a glass. It's just like, here's the bottle as you want it. I just, I love her. I love Georgia. Stan her times a thousand. My last top five moment in the entire series would be, I would say, Reese on the battlefield in Akawar. We don't really see him ever use his power in a broad capacity. It's always like little things like destroying one person's mind or, you know, whatever. But in the battlefield situations, we get him fighting. You know, he's bloody. He's hurt. He's misting half of an army. He's turning into a beast and just devouring things. I mean, we haven't talked about it in this episode, and we probably won't, but he's also getting a blowjob in the middle of the camp while his people are dying. Yeah, so all of this. <laughs> yeah, it's very inappropriate, <laughs> but also very on brand, don't you think? Like, good on him. I have to think that on top of the whole shield that he put up so nobody heard him, that there was also an additional shield so nobody saw the shadows of the action. Because in my head, I'm thinking of Austin Powers and you know when... Yeah. <laughs> it's good. But also, another part of me is like, nah, he totally didn't do that. Let everybody fucking see. Like Everybody saw, but nobody heard. Yeah, like... Yeah, that's, that's See, that's on brand for Reese. Mm -hmm. Like, he's like, nobody's going to hear this, but they could totally, like, yes. see. They can totally see the slobbing on the knob. That's that's fine. <laughs> you know, we're about it. We're about it. Those are oh. those are my top five moments in the entire series. Jess, what you got? Oh, well, I don't... Like, my first... 
I'll say the first one and the other ones can go in any order, I guess. The first one will always be chapter 54 to me. One, I love the communication. I don't think you see a lot of communication, especially, I mean, in my past relationships, the fact that the communication was there in chapter 54, leading up to it to just kind of word vomit everything that he was feeling, seeing from start to finish. I thought that was important. I think it was essential to the growth in their relationship that let them propel further to have that deeper connection. So chapter 54 for life. For me, obviously, it goes into chapter 55. I consider that one chapter at this point, like 54A and 54B. Then I I do like the end to everything that you said. I also like the switch in the narrative that Sarah had created where so often in my experience where a female will want a relationship with somebody else and we compromise our beliefs and we're like, you know what, I'll just I'll take anything as long as I can get that person and to see that switched I really appreciated it was also hot it was sexy it was all about her again her sex positive her pleasure she tried to and he was like no tonight's about you that was hot you're like okay like I'm not gonna you know I'll pillow princess the shit out of this you know all about that again we're very aligned with the high lords meet everything the power play I don't even know how to vocalize it because we've already had this conversation in a previous episode for our Aquawar episode, but the sense of control, the sense of power, the sense that there was a lot of unity there amongst the the night court specifically, the inner circle, because Nesta was there, as was there, Cassian was there, everybody was there. And meanwhile, the High Lords are like, oh, this is, we're, we're doing this. I thought it was just us and our spouses. I really appreciated the High Lords meeting. I love Tamlin getting his shit handed to him. Anytime I can see Tamlin get owned, just fuck him up. Yes. Then as Cassian, Feyre Lake scene, when Feyre is with Lucian, they're running across the ice. The Autumn brothers are there. You know that they're not done for because it's still the beginning of the book, but it's just such a special moment because she gets to go home. She takes ownership, again, of herself in her role in her court, with her inner circle, with her family. I absolutely love it. Everything is just so beautiful about that scene. And I also think of that scene playing Swan Lake as Sarah has it in her Spotify playlist. And then my last one... I couldn't think of something specific. I knew it would have to be with Reese, but I think I would just want it to be vague and say summer court moments in general, because I think summer court was so special for everybody involved. I think, you know, you have Tarquin, you have Feyre saying like, you could be somebody I could fall in love with. It's the moment where she started understanding her summer court powers a little bit more. Summer Court is where Reese openly has said, like, it's the first time that I had hope. It was the time where they had connection. They started flirt, like, they started openly flirting more with each other. She got jealous. She got jealous. She started taking ownership of her feelings. They had the whole, you know, to the stars who listen special quote. Then, even when you flash forward to Akawar, you have Reese decimating. Another battle scene with Reese, you have Feyre and Moore going to protect people of Summercourt. This isn't, and let's keep in mind, like Summercourt is not their court, and they knew they needed to go to Summercourt and protect these people because that is what was right. That was where you know, and this is this is even with the blood, the blood ruby on their heads. And I think that was just I think it was another moment where you saw Feyre in her strength and taking ownership and what she was doing and I think Summer Court there was always something special about it and even like having like a little maybe bromance come out of it between Tarquin and 
and Reese, because Tarquin, like we said previously, he knew, he goes, I don't believe Reese is a bad guy. He goes, I hear things. I wasn't always a high lord. I think this is all for show. They want to be friends, you know? And I think Summer Court brought a lot of that. I mean, even for Amarin, like she fell for, you know, Varian, Valerian. Varian. 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 Sorry, we were. I was looking at the Cruel Prince stuff earlier, so that I think I was thinking <laughs> of Valerian too. So I think everybody has been involved with the Summer Court. I mean, even, even Cass taken down a fucking building. Can we please get a backstory on that, Sarah? I cannot wait. And, it's, oh, and it goes back to fanfics and like canons. I think t- TikTok has been doing a, such a great job in creating these inner circle moments with already established dialogue from mainstream media. And it's it's just been so wonderful. I'm thinking specifically of Cassian and Tarquin with the stepbrothers voiceover of like, I know you touched my drum set. And I think that's such a I think that's such a great TikTok. And she's like, I don't have to explain shit to you. Because <laughs> that's fucking that's Cass. That's Cass. He totally would be like, I'm not admitting to it. And I don't have to explain why I don't have to admit to it either. It's wonderful. Thank God for social media. Thank God for TikTok. Thank God for Bookstagram. Uh, especially in 2020 and now we're in 2021. It just really brings a community together in a time when we're all supposed to be like social distancing and, you know, there's still a raging pandemic. We are, I would say, more connected than ever because we have all found each other. And I was going to ask you that because you've been obviously following, you know, you've seen the growth of Sarah and her writing and her series and the different tangents that she's gone off into her stories. And I've definitely pointed them out as I'm rereading, uh, not even rereading, as I'm reading Throne of Glass, I'll text you a line. I go, this equals this. And it goes to foreshadows for a moment that we see portrayed later in Akatar. Now you have another social media platform as a new release is coming out. Whereas before I asked you, I go, how are you so deep into these books when there's not a lot of stuff out there? And you would say like, well, there's Pinterest, there's Instagram accounts, but like there's Tumblr because Tumblr will always be a a fandom's dream. Um, And now we have TikTok. So that'll be interesting how people are creating. Maybe we have to be off of TikTok that week or nobody's going to be on TikTok because we're all reading. I I feel like we're all going to be reading. And yeah, there'll be some people that get through it in like two days or a day or, you know, whatever. But that's not the majority of people. So I really feel like we'll be safe with spoilers and things. And I know that we'll get through it fast. But I am so interested to see what happens in Silver Flames. I'm so excited. And I'm so glad that the fandom is what it is and that we're all in this together. And like, Jess, you can join us for this like so live excited. release. Is there an official, like now that we're going into, like this is a recap episode, we're going to Silver Flames. Is there a fandom name? Or we just say like the fandom, which is fine. I don't, I mean, you know me, I have a little monster tattoo. So I don't know if there's, not that I'm getting an SJM tattoo anytime soon. I think we're all just, um, just, I, you know, (laughs) no, we're, um, we're, we're mass trash, I think is kind of what it is. Like we're all there you know, for all of it, because we've all read all of it. Except Catwoman. You know, it's, it's not. Yeah. So we're all we're all just Mastra. And that's that's wonderful. It is very inclusive. But uh, shout out in the comments if there is like an official Akatar like name or a Throne of Glass name for those fandoms. I would be very interested to see what it was because I don't know it. 
I know that at the beginning of this episode, Laura introduces saying like, oh, we're going to talk about things that we said we probably missed some of those. The alcohol was involved. But if there is something that we didn't discuss about that you want to see us, please comment on our Instagram page, Acafe Podcast, A-C-O-F-A-E. We love interacting with everybody. It's been super helpful to have that direction in our conversations. Like I said earlier in this episode, I to be educated and to be more aware, just like when I was talking about the TikTok, it's been super helpful. It's been super great. Understanding that the book comes out the 16th, we are going to record our Silver Flames episode the weekend of February 20th, but we're not going to release the episode till the following Monday. Just so, you know, people are still getting their books. We still need time to read. I think it will just be really great to have a respect for everybody in the community. So we want to wait till March to release that episode. But in the meantime, since I'm finishing Queen of Shadows, Monday the 22nd, we'll have a Queen of Shadows-centric episode out. And I will just continue to stand and adore Aelin Ashriver Galathinius. And holy hell, I know I'm only scraping the surface of the Rowan Whitethorn love. Which is all very exciting because there is, of course, the Rowan Reese Hunt situation and the back and forth between them. There is fan art of this. Ooh. So we are excited. We're excited for Jess to get there. And of course, we are all very excited for Jess to get to Empire of Storms. Are we? Everybody keeps telling me they're sobbing and crying. And you, Laura, told me she's, you said that you can't even finish reading it. Yeah, I get to the, I mean, everybody knows, I get to the part in Empire of Storms and I can't I can't finish it. It is what it is, but we are all excited for Jess to go down this road because her reactions are fantastic. So make sure to keep checking our Instagram. Please interact with us and please, you know, gently prod us in directions you want us to go. We are here for you. We do what you want. Do we? We do what we want. For the most part. <laughs> and I have to say thank you so much for joining us. I hope you enjoy this recap and I hope everybody enjoys Silver Flames. Thanks. Have a good week. Bye.